and welcome to episode 41 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, May 28th, 2020. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How are you doing, Courtney? I'm okay. I can't believe it's May 28th, and I just had a mini panic attack. But anyway... That is a good point. Are you enjoying our lovely fog that is back? Well, of course, it's back. My husband hates it, but I don't mind. He's from here. How can he hate it? He should love it. I know. I love it. We had like three days of actual, well, San Francisco summer weather. That I don't care. And you could go outside. I don't care for that. It's too hot. They looked at me like, it's 78 degrees. What are you complaining about? But I don't like it warm at all. So... Now that San Francisco is back to normal, well, weather-wise anyway, we are still podcasting in place, and we will be having our normal segments on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand, and we are retiring on the fly for the moment because we have bingo to talk about. It is summer bingo season, so that is all the fun anybody needs. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited. Uh, Yeah, I've already done a couple, but we'll talk about that at the end. Oh my gosh, okay. We'll start with On the Needles. I finished my continuous cardigan, which I'm actually wearing today. Very exciting because the fog is back. This is my super oversized shrug. The pattern is by Kelly White from the, I don't know if it's an actual book. I have it as an ebook. I Knit San Francisco. It's all kind of San Francisco-based patterns and possibly local designers and, and yarn dyers as well. Certainly both my yarn and designer are local. The yarn is Favor Erin by Sincere Sheep in some unknown sort of color that is purpley. And I picked it out because I wanted kind of a neutral. It's such a, a giant statement piece that if I did it in a really obvious color, I would get less wear out of it. And I think my, my usual neutral is a blue, but I have a hard time wearing a dark blue with denim and I generally wear jeans um, so I wanted something different and it is a purple but it feels it does feel pretty neutral I could wear this with a lot of different colors I think so I'm pretty excited and you make it you it's a giant lace square I think it was 25 by 25 inches but big yarn big needles so it didn't take too too long and then you pick up a knit a uh, border around the edge that is ribbing, one by one ribbing, and then you do a smocking stitch, which is where you gather the stitches together and wrap the yarn around it. I know it's a sewing stitch as well, but I don't mm-hmm. I don't know quite how you do that. Like, it gives a similar effect, I think. Um, and you do two rows of the smocking and they're a little bit offset. So it's a really beautiful border. Got to learn something new. I had not done a smocking stitch before, so that was exciting. And it took me a few times to get it right you're wrapping the yarn around a group of stitches and there are a lot of stitches where you take your yarn through the stitch like several rows below and that's what I thought it was asking and then it didn't look right and then I looked up instructions that had a picture of the stitch with the instructions and I said oh I'm going the wrong direction so you go stitches over on the needle instead of down the needle totally different effect so I did eventually figure that out which was fabulous and then you do a couple little sleeves and put it on and it's 
very comfy and cozy. And since it's lace, it's also very airy. And it's kind of perfect for a foggy summer San Francisco day like today. It's just a little bit of warmth, but not not too much like a, a regular knit cardigan would be. So, so really smocking, smocking and sewing involves elastic. And you can either just zigzag stitch over the top of the elastic and then it automatically gathers it or you can like grab the elastic at intervals and it does like a lighter smocking. So there's a couple ways to do it in sewing. And I suspect that that stitch is super elastic and that's maybe what, well, knitting yeah. is much more elastic anyway. Yeah. And it's a one by one ribbing. So it's pretty stretchy anyway. So this actually, because you're wrapping the yarn around, I think it's six stitches kind of pulls it in a little bit and maybe even makes it. So it's less. more for the, I think it gives the, the same puckered effect. Yeah. 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 It looks really, really pretty. So that was a fun pattern. I think my only quibble was with the, the bind off. Oh, that was the other thing. The bind off was a tubular bind off, which I've done before, which is beautiful, but <laughs> slightly time consuming because there are like four rows of preparation and then you do the bind off. So it took a little while, but less long than I suspected it would. So that was good. But the directions for that were in the back. So they had a technique section, which is fine because there's a you know, book full of patterns and they put all the techniques in the back. But the directions for that were not as clear as I thought they could be, especially for a book that had directions on how to do plain knitting. <laughs> like this is a stockinette stitch. If that's the level <laughs> of instruction that you're giving, then you probably should have more detailed instruction for the actual complicated stitches kind of my thought yeah so that, but um anyway other than that it was great and I'm super happy to have this finished project and then I did a little work on my porthole cowl someday that will actually I think I'm how am I done I've done like two I don't think I'm quite halfway through but I'm getting there so I've changed colors a couple of times this is a pattern by being expat designs where you use two different mini skeins in gradients two different mini skeins sets. So I have four colors of a blue gradient and four mini skeins of a like white, brownish gray cream kind of gradient. And you start with the darkest of one and the lightest of the other, and then you rotate them through. So, and it ends up looking like you have polka dots on your cowl and it's gonna be a infinity cowl. So that one just takes a little time and I kind of picked that up in between things. Mm -hmm. I got a little bit of work done on that. So Good. I feel I'm kind of, when I feel inspired by something, I just kind of go with it and don't try not to overthink it too much. Then I started two projects. I got behind on my charity hats again. I was like, oh, because April went really fast. And I kept thinking, oh, it's a hat. I can do it. I can do it. And then didn't happen. And then we're almost done with May and I haven't done a May hat either. So I did start my April hat. And my plan was to start it in between sweaters. You'll hear in a minute how well that went. This is the June hat by Megan Kelly, which is confusing, I realize. Kelborn Wollens did a series of free hat patterns, one for each month. Um, and this was the pattern they released for June. So it's the June hat and it's a two color hat. The brim is one color and then it does alternating stripes and you do a slip stitch every 10 stitches or so in one of the colors. So you end up with a column of a single color and stripes all in the background. A little different from the three color hats, I had striped hats I had been doing before just to kind of change things up, but still pretty easy 
and I'm doing that in Cascade 220 in a, a turquoise and a white color. So it looks a little frozen, but I figure there's got to be some teen girl who, you know, <laughs> likes her Elsa out there or younger. It's, you know, it's a hat. It's stretchy. It can go for many, many people. And my plan was to finish that, but I didn't. I got super distracted by starting my next project, my next sweater project. My plan was to, I've already done two of my stitches yarn quantities that I bought this past February. So I thought, well, as long as I've got that done, let's go for the third one and just do a clean sweep of my stitches sweaters. Won't that be amazing? But then we had the nice weather. It's actually summer. I don't have a lot of t-shirt kind of sweaters and I thought that would be really good for a San Francisco summer. And I had some yarn already wound up that I had tried to make into a tank top, must be three years ago now, and it didn't work and I didn't like the way it was turning out. So I knew I wasn't going to use it for that pattern. So I figured I'll rip it out and I can start this other t-shirt. So I am making the lounging top by Hohi Locatelli, and it's, it's basically a big t-shirt <laughs> made out of yarn. It's going to be a big square. It's slightly oversized. The sleeves are sort of part of the top. Like you don't even have to knit extra for the sleeves. They just sort of naturally happen the way she designs it. The beginning is like she does most of her sweaters. There's some shaping in the back and the front. So you have to pick up pieces. And so the top is a little bit, it's not complicated, but a little more fiddly than like a raglan would be. But after that, from now on, it's just 14 inches of knitting and then I think there'll be a hem and I'll have to pick up and do a neckline but other than that it's just is it stock in it yeah you do around the sleeves it's garter and I so I think the the hem will probably be a garter stitch as well and the neckline so but the yarn itself is very bright and cheerful and summery so it did not need any kind of patterning the yarn is from Destination Yarn. It's her trinket base, which is a sport weight. And the pattern was written for sport weight. So that was exciting. Not no too. math. Yeah. Well, some mathing. She is knitting it at a really open gauge. And I, I was getting like three stitches, two and a half stitches to four inches less than her. And it still felt pretty loose and floppy. So I just went with it, knit a bigger size, you know, and that has worked for me in the past. And it's not like it's a super fitted sweater. So it should be okay, I think. The yarn color is called Great Barrier Reef, and it's from a club, it's a club colorway that I got, well, I guess it must be two or three years ago. That was because I got it and then started the tank top and didn't finish it. Um, but it's blues and purples with pops of orange and some other colors. It's very, very bright and cheery. So I think it'll be a nice, fun summer top. Summer being summer in San Francisco. <laughs> So, right, right. Which is not the most warm thing. And it should be loose enough that I could wear like a long sleeve t-shirt underneath or not, depending on how nice it actually is for us. I think that is all of my knitting. So it's been good. I've got fun new things going on and some old old favorites coming back. So good. What, what is on the easel? The easel, we are at the halfway point for the 100-day project. And I have been on top of it, I guess, you know, I've been showing up every day. So today, I can't believe we're halfway through. Yeah. 
So I finished a whole sketchbook because the sketchbook only has, I mean, technically it has a hundred pages, but because it's gouache, I only paint on one side. So one of my goals yesterday was to do like a thumb through of the whole sketchbook, which is chock full. I definitely have a couple favorites from the project so far from the first 50 days. Like I love the National Geographic one. I love the lawn chair one and that last cactus one that I did. So I'm on target for that. And then I joined the Good Ship Illustration class and have been doing a lot of work for that behind the scenes, which is refreshing your, your viewpoint and keeping fresh lines in your work. And, and it's a lot of responsive drawing and going out into the world and looking at things in, in a different perspective and then doing like memory drawing and imagination drawing from that. The women who run the class, two of them are ex- art school teachers all three of them do illustration work and one of them is a book illustrator so I'm getting a tremendous amount out of this class and it feels good to just do the work behind the scenes and not feel like I have to share it or anything like that although some of it is really fun and I can't wait to share so it is more of an actual class and not a prompts or you know like 30 days of yeah no it's a it's a real class one of the things that we're doing is they sent us all of these questions to sort of figure out what you love the premise being that the things that you love will show up in your artwork and that will drive a lot of your success and success defined as however you want it and so we were supposed to like do a page and illustrate from the questions that they gave us. I don't want to give too much away because I think they're going to open the class up again for people in the summertime. I made all of these little, like one thing that I collect are vintage wood frames because I was putting my artwork in them for open studios. And I don't know that we're going to have open studios this year or it's like some online version. So I don't know. But I went through and I cataloged all of my vintage frames and did tiny little paper drawings of all, of just one box of them. I have probably 25 here. I made notes on them, like whether or not they had glass, where there were scuffs or whatever. That's adorable. You know, yeah. And then I made Monica, I made these little library pockets for them and so they'll go into my archive of things that I love it's a really cool process so they're all gonna go into I made an accordion book of course you did and they it's got like all of these pages front and back and that's where that material will go and I'm excited about it and then it's my own reference going forward then we were doing some sketchbook work and I looked through all of my sketchbooks and what we like about a sketchbook and what we look for in a sketchbook. And I did this giant garage clean out of all of the old books that I have stored in the garage. And I'm remaking a bunch of books using old book covers. And it's just been fun. It's been a really good uh, shelter in place kind of activity. And I wish I had more time to like fill up the sketchbooks because it's very satisfying to fill up the sketchbook. It's kind of like me knitting a sweater. 
Yeah. It's just awesome. Or I you know. knitting a sweater, which you're just so fast. I don't know. I can't even, there's no I, comparison. Well, I mean, I'm fast compared to you, but that's not really saying much. My friend <laughs> Telly has knit something like seven sweaters since we've started sheltering a place. So. Oh my gosh. I think, and I think a lot of them are t-shirt ones, but still that's crazy <laughs> fast. So that's fast. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But I did want to ask, so you said they might be doing this class again in the summer. Do they have a mailing list or how would people, if people are interested? That's a good point. I put the, um, I think I put the website on last, the last podcasts. Yes. And we'll have show it again. Notes. Yeah. And I think they will open it up again. And I don't think that it's just for illustrators. I think it's for any kind of visual artist who's looking to refresh their practice it's not any one medium, you know, I paint and gouache, but there's a lot of pencil work and, you know, like you can use whatever you have. They're really open-ended about materials. So I feel like it's a great approach for anyone. And they have awesome interviews with other different working visual artists, like book authors and comic book guys. And it's been really great. And then they do do a draw along on Fridays, which are at, I think, noon Pacific time or 8 p.m. What, what do you call GMT? Is that their time in, in England? I think they are currently in British summertime. Okay. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's like noon here. Okay. Um, That's what, noon in but California. They have the, yeah. We're in California. 3 p.m. on the East Coast. Yeah. And I, maybe I'll put a little countdown if I remember it. The other two things on the easel-ish are re-evaluating my art goals. At the beginning of the year, I had big plans. I was going to reignite my website. I had a goal for selling a certain number of art pieces. And then coronavirus happened. And I felt for several weeks like this is not the time to be starting something new and hunkered down and that kind of thing. But now I'm seeing that this is our new normal and I don't want to lose the momentum that I was feeling at the beginning of the year. And so over the next week, I think I'm going to reevaluate all of those goals, including the ones that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast and really think about how those will fit into our shifted household and the kids doing distance learning and, and that kind of thing. And then normally, you know, those gouache grids that Daria and I have been doing, and we've had such great fun with them. Normally I had been working on mine over the course of the month and I have not done a single square for May. So I am about to binge gouache zero zero Ooh. it's been you know we did it's have, been a month you've had a month it's been a month we did do a funeral ish thing if you can call it i don't know and we've been shifting the households around so we've had our hands full for sure but they're really easy to do and i i think part of it is that i'm not sure how to depict a gem in a way that is authentic to me without it looking like kind of cartoony and it may be that I have to do like watercolor 
because the gouache one just, I don't know. I'm really struggling with that this month and I better hop to it because I have like three days to do 25 gems, which is not a lot. It's not a lot of painting. It's not like knitting a sweater, you know, it will take, well, yeah, but it's still, it's art. So it'll take me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I have a plan for it. I just don't. But you could, I feel like you could double up because the grid gives you joy. So you could paint the grid and then do a painting of the grid. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the grid does give me joy. And I thought today's joyful thing could be the sketches because oftentimes the sketches for the gouache grid are so great. And then I'm like paralyzed to jump onto that actual beautiful gridded paper from Case for Making and do the... But that's partly, too, what this class, the Good Ship Illustration class, is how to keep that freshness in your final work, like the freshness of a sketch in your final work. And I just think that that's such a great conversation to be having in my own head right now, because I know that some of my stuff is like a little bit too tight, and I would love to learn how to relax into it. I drove down the hill the other day and there was this cactus in front of somebody's house down the hill. And the thing was all in bloom and all I could see were these amazing cactus blossoms. And I thought about it like, oh, that it would be cool to go down there later and sketch it. I attempted to go to the grocery store. The line was too long. I went to another grocery store, got what I needed. And then later on, I walked back down the hill with the sketchbook and drew the cactus right there on the sidewalk and the neighbor hollered out and he was like come back in the morning the cactus is so much better in the morning oh that's awesome yeah but he doesn't understand like I have a deadline (laughs) so I drew the cactus on the sidewalk and then I came home and added the paint in a really relaxed way and then I reached out to the cactus people in our family and had them ID it for me. And that was really fun. And it was just very an, a very organic process. And I want that to be how everything comes out. <laughs> That's what's been on the easel. Excellent. All right, on the table. Oh, you know what I wanted to ask first? Macaroons. I know you're not, well, you weren't doing so many, but I did want to talk a little bit about drawing them and what the foot is. Oh, okay. Breezed over that last time, and I kind of know what it is and why you do it because I have made them. But if you haven't, you might not know. Well, Monica, this is when Great British Baking Show would be a very useful <laughs> thing for you. I don't know that the foot is actually a. It's a term. A, okay, good. I thought it was, but so because the macarons have no fat in them. I think what, and I don't understand the chemistry behind it totally, but I think what has to happen, and this happens when I make the Ricciarelli cookies too, because they're egg white based. And maybe you know more about this from meringue. No? Okay. There's something about leaving them on the counter to rest that makes a skin over the the outer shell or surface of the macaroon, the ricciarelli, the pavlova, so that when it's baking in the oven, the thing, your your food item, can only go up because the skin keeps the egg product contained. You know, the skin has dried over. And so 
when the macaron rises up, it leaves a foot around the edge, the base of the cookie that has like texture, air bubbles, whatever. And so you can see how much rise you got out of your macaron. And then you have the beautiful glossy shell that had dried from that resting time. And that is very apparent with the macaron process. It's not, depending, it's not as apparent for me on the pavlova, but it also, you, it's, it's oh, sorry, true. I don't think I've ever left my pavlova to dry, though. I think that that was the problem with the one that I made a few episodes ago where it spread. Yeah, yeah. I think if I had left it to dry, it would have just come up. And sometimes they collapse in, which is fine, because you want that bowl shape. And then with the Ricciarellis, you're actually supposed to let them dry on the counter. And then before you put them in the oven, you kind of squeeze them. You just squeeze the sides of it and it cracks. And then the air can escape from there. And they don't get as much of a foot, but then they have these beautiful cracks in them. So that's the foot part. Okay, I feel that. I, I've definitely noticed the difference between the half hour and the one hour drying time, at least in because it's so humid. Well, not hot, humid, but there's moisture here. So they are better after an hour, at least at my house. And frankly, on the Great British Baking Show, too. We were chatting about that before. Courtney is shocked and appalled that I have never actually watched that show. And I am a little surprised myself but i don't know what i've been doing with my time watching marvel movies you can easily knit along to great british baking show this is true all right someday i'll check it out what's been on your table desserts still working on the desserts i did these delicious confetti cookies from smitten kitchen i think they came up on her weekly post and they looked so cute so they're, they're basically sugar cookies and you roll them in sprinkles and bake them off and they're delicious and her goal with them was to be easy and fast and to taste like a birthday cake and she actually it sounds like went to the cake store and bought single batches of sprinkles to mix together to get the perfect sprinkle mix that she wanted which I did not do I had sprinkles from a must be this January birthday cake season that I used that worked fine and I think the secret is that there's cream cheese in them so they are a little more tender and puffy than a traditional sugar cookie they were fabulous though and they made I think I got 48 cookies so it lasted us at least two days a few people got them for breakfast on the third day as my husband said you think oh I'll just have one and you think oh well now I need five more so <laughs> they were they were a little dangerous, but very, very pretty looking and quite, quite tasty. Did you uh, press, did you press them down? I did remember to do that. I got out, uh, I did not have, I don't know what she said to use, but I used uh, the bottom of a glass and I just mm -hmm. had to remember to put it upside down on the counter when I wasn't using it instead of putting it glass ways, glass wise. And did you, it calls for optional almond extract. I did, did you? Yeah. Uh, I have this new almond extract that I love, so okay. I'm excited. Have you made you those seem like just looking at it online? I'm just looking at it online because I think it would be so much fun to have a surprise celebration cookie for tonight's graduation. Oh, yeah. Except for the cream cheese. You generally... 
I have cream cheese, so I'm very excited. I just have to fit that into my day. If you make it in your food processor, you don't have to let the butter or the cream cheese soften. Chill or soften, yeah, yeah. Soften, yeah. It felt like more trouble to get the food processor out than to let the butter, two sticks, and the cream cheese sit out than to go into the it's only a it's only um a quarter cup of cream cheese though that's not even that much yeah no it's not that much great so since i had the cream cheese left over and i had bananas as they tend to do browning on my counter i made a banana cake with cream cheese frosting so it was a gluten-free one it was so it was like a single layer banana cake and i didn't have terribly much cream cheese frosting but it was plenty for that. I remember that one was. I think that was from my flourless cookbook and the cream cheese frosting was, oh no, it was from that recipe as well, from the flourless cookbook. So that was, I mean, it's banana cake, cream cheese frosting, delicious. That went over yeah. very well. And then I also made the tartine chocolate buckwheat cookies, which are also flourless, but that is from the San Francisco restaurant cookbook that came out recently to support restaurants. They were delicious. There wasn't that much buckwheat in them. I had to almost double it. I'm not sure if I didn't get my yolks and sugar whipped enough. I did it for a long time. It looked like they were as puffy in the right colors they needed to be, but it was like soup. They were not going to hold together at all. So, but I kept adding some more buckwheat and it (laughs) thickened up just enough and they were very tasty as well. You know, chocolate, chocolate cookies. Yeah. So that was delicious. For actual food, I can't just have dessert. I made a vegetarian tortilla soup. You had made tortilla soup last time, I think. And I was thinking, oh, that sounds really good. I have a really easy recipe from Dinner or Love Story. But chicken is kind of the main thing in that. And I know she is working on a vegetarian version for her next cookbook, but that is not currently available. So I was looking at some other ones to kind of, you know, what is going to take the place of the chicken. And it's a lot of the tortilla soup is about the accoutrement and the extra. I think that was Kelly who made tortilla soup. Oh, was it? Okay. I think yeah, so. Somebody recently. Oh, well, if it wasn't you, then it was her. So. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, really good idea. But I can't do the chicken. So, yeah. I mean, I guess, so I could do my regular one, but use vegetable broth and add the chicken at the end, but that feels like the, lay, the flavor just wouldn't be there as much. So I wanted to find a nice vegetarian one that would have the flavor, but still be easy. A lot of them that I came across had, first you make stock, which it's not that complicated, but it's one more step. I wanted to throw everything in a pot. So I found find one from Cookie and Kate, which I know you've made a lot of stuff from them. So that, yeah. that was good. And it was delicious. It had corn and black beans in it and tomatoes and some spices. I think the best part was they have you make chips, basically, tortilla strips from actual tortillas and bake them off in your oven so they get all nice and crispy, which I'll usually throw chips in my tortilla soup. But making your own was that made it a little something special. Good. Next time I'll need to make two pans worth of that so we can. Yeah. But it was good. And it it said it was just enough soup for the four of us with a little bit for seconds. So again, might have to double it. I think I was low on black beans, so I couldn't really double it up, but that was tasty. And then, oh yeah, the cauliflower and coconut curry that I posted on Instagram was also good. 
there was there's a new cookbook out that's global. I forget if it's vegan. It might be vegan, possibly vegetarian. The author is from the chef author is from Oakland. And so his version of it was you do cauliflower steaks and roast them and put panko breadcrumbs and serve that on top of the curry. That was a little bit too many steps. So I just chopped up my cauliflower and threw it in there. But he does have you do your own combination of spices instead of just using curry powder, or just cumin, or, you know, whatever. It was definitely a whole combination of spices that made it just that little extra bit of delicious. So that was good. Everyone seemed into that. And I think we had leftovers. That one definitely made a good, good amount. So I was pleased with that as well. Great. Yeah. I'm trying to figure easy things with a little bit of flavor. Yeah. My one child is out of school, so he gets to make dinner once a week now, which is very exciting. Good. I still got to make my kids do that. Yeah. His first choice is steak. (laughs) My older one's first choice is like a rack of ribs. I was like, but that's fine. You can make steak. However, you have to make something for the vegetarian in the house as well. He's like, yeah. what? I know. Go Welcome to your world. <clears throat> yes. So, and actually I was sort of annoyed because I had already, I had done all of my menu planning and I, and I did have steak and portobello mushrooms as one of my things. It's like, all right, fine. You could do that. But now you have to think of something else because I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> the, the point of this is that I don't have to think. There's one night where I don't have to come up with the menu. Oh, so, totally. How about you? I'm going to get the real meals out of the way very quickly because I have a huge announcement. All right. So we did turkey tacos again with the ground turkey. You know, there's like a meat shortage. I don't know if you know this because you're, it's like I hard to. That, but I haven't noticed that. Um, we have, I have had a hard time finding chicken. But ground turkey, nobody likes, so it's everywhere. And that's fine with me because we do, I do like, um, I can do enchiladas with turkey and we did skillet tacos. And I even used a seasoning packet from Trader Joe's that was awesome. I don't know how I'm going to, I need to replace that. But anyway, turkey tacos, chicken chili uh, the other night, which is that I've talked about this recipe before. It's a super easy chicken, white beans, those green, what are those green peppers in the can? Jalapenos? No, they're... They're just like green, the chopped up ones? Yeah, the chilies. Yeah, (laughs) I think they just call them chilies. I just think they call them chilies too. (laughs) Um, Just a few of those chopped up in there with a little bit of chicken stock. And then I serve it with cilantro rice or something like that and a little salad. So it's a white chili? Yeah, it's a white chili, white bean chili. Everybody likes it. It's not super spicy. And it it was great until it got hot. And then it was kind of like nobody wanted chili, obviously. But I did make a couple cherry galettes, you know, and the galette is the pie filling with the pie crust just wrapped around it. And it's baked on like a flat sheet pan. I made a couple of those with some very fresh cherries, experimented with two different pie crusts with the same cherry filling. I did like a flaky pie crust and then I did more of a a tart pie crust that had egg yolk. And I definitely thought that the tart pie crust was easier to work with. It rolled out a lot better. It had a little bit of confectioner sugar and an egg yolk. That's the only difference. It wasn't so sweet that you could tell the difference, but it 
was definitely easier to handle. So that was my own little kitchen experiment. But I also got some sourdough starter. And oh my gosh, I never would have, you know, I saw everybody dealing with their sourdough starters and like stressing out about it and like looking for flour all over the city because flour is sold out everywhere. And I was perfectly happy to just keep making macarons with my almond flour stockpile. Well, you were making pretzels and you had all kinds of... Oh yeah, I was, I'm fine. You did waffles, you were plenty busy. Right. So a friend, a friend and neighbor had some sourdough starter and she was, she just basically dropped it off. And I said, sure, you know, I figured I'll just make something out of it. I don't need to go the distance and make bread dough or anything like that. It landed though, during a really busy weekend with some family stuff that we had to deal with. And so you have to, if you're not going to use it right away, you still have to feed it. This is like gremlins around here. <laughs> All it does is like, you've got to water, you got to do the water and then you have to give it so much flour. It's like, it just turned in, it had this life of its own. And honestly, because I did not care whether it lived or died, I just wanted to make, I had a recipe for, um, sourdough chocolate chip cookies and I just wanted to make that recipe and then whatever was left I would attempt a loaf of bread and be done of it well I apparently have the sourdough gene and my sourdough starter would like grow <laughs> it was just beautiful it had great flavor so I gave out sourdough starter to anyone who would take it. And then I made the sourdough chocolate chip cookies, which the recipe that I had, they were a little too cakey and they, I like a really dense chocolate chip cookie. And so they were twice as high as my cookies. Oh. The family loved them and they were gone. They were totally eaten, even though I made a double batch and then there are all kinds of experimenting with chocolate chip cookies. Well, yeah, We're, we keep landing back to the fact that my original recipe is still pretty decent, but then I had to make the sourdough bread. It was like a 24, 36 hour process, you know, where you have to fold the, the, <laughs> I'm complaining about it because it's such a, it was just this whole ordeal. Oh, wait, when did you do it? Was it like, this week? Yeah. Was it like since the 22nd? My point is, can you count it for bingo? Um, I can't count the sourdough for bingo, but I can count the make a double batch and give somebody. All right. Because <laughs> I gave away the sourdough this weekend, this past weekend. Oh, no, this past weekend is part of it. it started yeah, but Friday I didn't night. make the bread then. I didn't make the oh, bread then. All right. Um, okay. The first batch of sourdough yielded two loaves and I baked them off in my big Dutch oven. The first one, I followed the instructions, which was a tartam recipe. And she likes her sourdough like way overbaked. And I wish you watched Great British Baking Show because then I could add some quip about Paul Hollywood saying that my dough is underbaked or whatever. <laughs> I think Americans generally underbake things more than we realize. So the first loaf was just too overdone for our 
liking. And the second loaf, I backed way off on the cook time and it came out awesome. And it was almost like a whole wheat. The sourdough is, is meant to go into like a 500 degree oven in a Dutch oven and cook in there for 20, 25 minutes. And then you can turn it down to 450 for another 20, 15 or 20 minutes, or you can put it on a pizza stone. You can do a lot of things after that initial steam bake. But I left it in the Dutch oven the first time for way too long. And then the second time just for another, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes at the lower temperature. And then I took it out and I let it cool on a rack until it was totally cool. And that allowed the interior to steam so that it was cooked, basically. And it was awesome sourdough that my one and only loaf <laughs> was fantastic. And it's kind of a whole wheat blend of sourdough. And I still have starter in the fridge. And I have plans to attempt sourdough pizza crust and sourdough pretzels. The bread takes too darn long for me. We just don't eat bread that much. It just, you have to like fold the dough every 30 minutes for two and a half hours and then you got to let it rest and then you got to do something else and I don't have I just no <laughs> but I'm really glad that I had the experience oh and I named her Sadie the sourdough starter it's my favorite old lady name I think what surprised me was that I did not care about this I mean I wanted a loaf of bread and that's why I followed through but I think it's a lot like pie crust, where if you give it a lot of attention, you've gone too far. Like you need to, you need to like detach <laughs> from the sourdough from the beginning and be like, whatever. Otherwise, I think it can just consume your life. Oh my word. And it was just, I think that the, the climate here is really amenable to sourdough and that really helps. Well, yeah. I don't know. That's kind of San Francisco's thing. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I mean, it originated in Egypt or something. Sourdough. Huh. Yeah. It is the oldest type of risen bread. I feel and like we're known for it though. We are known for it. I clearly have a knack for the starter. So if you are a local and you need some, give me a call. <laughs> But it is a pain during a pandemic when there's a flower shortage because it's like, how do you feed these gremlins? <laughs> Not after midnight. Yeah, exactly. Thanks and that, that is my sourdough saga. <laughs> that is a saga. All right. On the nightstand. First of all, I just found out there is a TV show, The Ghost Bride, after the book, streaming on Netflix. Okay. So it's same author as The Night Tiger. Oh, Yangsing Chu. I think it was her first book. And I think it's out of Taiwan, Malaysia, so it's subtitled. And that's where the book takes place. Planning on checking that out as well. Because I did pretty much like that book. I like The Night Tiger better, but this one was good as well. All right, books for me. Starting off with Time Travel Meets the Hallmark Channel series that I got myself into <laughs> with oddly cheerful covers. So the first one I actually talked about last time, in five years, which is the woman who has a vision or has a dream, transported five years into her future, there for an hour, totally different life. She comes back and then it goes on from there. So apparently I must have been on some list or just everybody is having a zeitgeist moment of time travel and romance. 
at all three of these books had the kind of hand-drawn, happy little covers that I associate with romance novels, and they are not that. So that was took a little bit of a moment to readjust my expectations for what I was reading. So the first one that I read this time was The Two Lives of Lydia Bird by Josie Silver. Again, with a happy little cover, the description sounds like it's going to be maybe not exactly a romance. was not that. Lydia's fiancé dies in a car crash on her 28th birthday. The book opens about a month after that, and she is dealing, obviously, with all the grief. And the book is basically ends up being her going through the process of grieving yeah. and living her life. And it takes her to about almost two years in her life afterwards. So she gets fairly into the process. Um, and it, so in a lot of ways, it was a really beautiful book. The hook in this is that she's having trouble sleeping. Her mom goes to the doctor, gets her sleeping pills that are slightly experimental. And she discovers they allow her to enter a world in which he has not died. So she goes to visit him. She's kind of binges at the beginning and, and realizes this is not healthy and cuts back to once a week. So you're kind of flipping back and forth between her real life where he is not and she's dealing with all the feelings and getting back to work. And she's very self-aware of what she's going through. She's like, I don't really feel like I'm ready to go back to work, but I also need to. And I need to, you know, these people have been covering for me to get back there. I need to go hang out with my sister and my friends. I need to, you know, she's like, I need to do this. And then, you know, and discovering how to do all this stuff again. But then also... and does he encourage her? Like, can he talk what? to her in this world? Uh, or does he so know it, that? No, he doesn't know that she, she shows up and he thinks like, it's basically two separate worlds and she's kind of popping in. He doesn't, he doesn't know he's died in the other world because oh. she doesn't tell him. But it ends up as she's going on, the worlds are splitting more and more and just little things. So in the, in the other one where he's still alive, they're still planning their wedding. They're still you know, figuring that out, they're still living their lives. And then some of the same people, like his best friend has the same girlfriend in both that he meets after the fiance dies. Mm-hmm. So she's in, in both worlds. But she's Weird. like, yeah, so little things like she wakes up in her alternate world and they're going to the gym. And she's like, what the heck? I hate the gym. I don't exercise. That's always his thing. It's never been my thing. Why are we going to the gym together? It was like our Saturday afternoon date. She's like, this is so weird. I would never do this. So it was interesting. as like kind of becoming her own person, moving on. And part mm-hmm. of it is, you know, letting go of the person that you lost, but still always remembering them. Um, so it was, it was, it was a really, it, I have not had a loss that profound in my life thankfully, but it felt like a pretty authentic expression yeah. of what she would be going through. And so it, it was, it was interesting. I liked it. It was not, it was not a cheery book. <laughs> so I was, yeah. I was, I'm glad I read it, but it didn't, it was probably not the best book to be reading at this point, but it did feel like it, it could be a helpful book at a different time. And then it ends in like January 2020. So I'm like, oh my God, how far into the year are they going to get? Make it stop, make it stop. It's going to be so interesting to read back on the fiction from this time period. You know, people who are influenced by, oh man. So then the next one in my Hallmark slash time travel series, this is the final one, is Una Out of Order by Margarita Montemore. This one was a little bit lighter. Una is, starts off, she's 19. I think it's like, 
1984. She's at a New Year's Eve party. Uh, her birthday is January 1st, so New Year's Eve is always a big party day because it's also her birthday eve and, you know, everyone's partying. Um, at stroke of midnight, she kind of passes out, and when she wakes up, she is now 51. It is 2015, and she discovers that she lives her life a year at a time and then jumps around, and so she never knows where she's oh going to land. Her mom knows and her assistant. So her assistant is there to kind of help her with, since this is her first job, but he has lived, he has known her for several years when she was older. So she is now mentally a 19 year old, but has the body of a 51 year old and everyone else in her life has lived the. As do I. (laughs) I mean, we all feel that way. (laughs) That is true. It was, I really enjoyed this. I'm not 51. (laughs) <laughs> that's true you are much younger um, I know but it was so interesting she's like oh my god my body why do I look this way what is going on but because of the time travel she you know it hits a lot of the tropes like she's made a lot of money betting on the stock market because you know buy apple you know how to do it she knows what to buy she knows when to sell she has a notebook of stocks anyway so she has money she can basically do whatever she wants her rule is the people around her no spoilers she's like you're going to go through some hard stuff but there's a lot of joy and if you know that either of them is coming it spoils it i mean whatever you you feel like you would want to know about the bad stuff but at the same time yeah knowing about the good stuff is going to kind of ruin the excitement and the living your life and so it's a really interesting way of looking at your life and she keeps trying yeah. to change things it maybe works maybe it doesn't you don't know she ends up finding out some things right and she's like it's weird I don't know I don't know what's going to happen in my life but none of us really do except that we sort of see it sequentially where she is yeah jumping around she knows she at least makes it to the age of 51 <laughs> so, right what um, a what a crazy concept it is pretty trippy. And so each chapter or each section starts off with calendar age and mental age to kind of keep you, because sometimes yeah. she's older than her physical age. And some, you know, the first one, obviously, it's a big difference the other way. And kind of what she does, it's really hard to have relationships because you're going to wake up and not know who these people are. Like you'll have forgotten or, I mean, depending on when you hit it, you could have really great Does friends. She- does she know when she's going to shift? Yes, it's always on New Year's Eve, midnight, oh, oh, midnight oh, yeah. on her birthday. Uh, but she doesn't know where she's going to go. She doesn't know what the next year is. Oh, my gosh. So she starts to find out some things, and she will occasionally leave herself notes if she thinks it's really important. Her assistant has said, you know, I've known you before now. You were older, so you're going to know some great things. So even though you're 19 right now and completely freaking out, it'll all be okay. I can tell because... I knew you before. So it's really, it's kind of a kooky, but also really interesting. And yeah, just kind of makes you think about how we live our lives and not knowing what's going to come next, but sort of appreciate things for for what they are in the moment. So my next one was The Chosen Ones by Victoria Roth. And she wrote the Divergent series, but this is her first adult novel. It felt very similar in a lot of ways. It's the kind of... Well, it takes place in Chicago. And this one, 10 years ago, Earth is invaded by some powerful magical being who's destroying everything because that's what powerful invaders do. There's a prophecy about who will destroy him. It also is very much the same cycle out of Harry Potter fanfic. Mm. Anyways, 
there's a dark lord. He's actually called the dark one. There's a prophecy. And five teenagers are chosen to train to battle him, and they destroy him. And so the book picks up 10 years after this, that so they're having an anniversary celebration and, you know, how their lives have gone. Something else happens, one of them dies, and then shenanigans ensue. It took a big change, or what seemed to me a big change, partway through the book, and I wasn't liking it. I was like, why are we doing this? This just feels like a distraction. And she did bring it all back. So I was, I was fairly happy with how it all worked out. Definitely a lot of plot, so that's always good. And I think it's a series, but she left it. There was a pretty good ending, so it didn't feel... It was not a cliffhanger, not a huge cliffhanger. So that was good. So uh, that was The Chosen Ones by Victoria Roth. I think if you like The Divergent, it's like The Divergent series, but with less teen angst. So that was nice because <laughs> they're in their late 20s, so they've moved past that a little. They have different issues. Then I read The Wise Man's Fear by Patrick Rothfuss, which is the... Oh, good sequel holy cow a thousand pages i went back wow. and looked at like which i didn't i mean it's on my kindle so i can't tell i'm like reading and reading and reading and i'm a pretty fast reader as you may have known i read yeah. a lot i'm like i'm still reading i'm still reading and i went and checked because on the kindle it'll tell you how long the average reading time is for this book 25 hours <laughs> like wow this is a lot of book so very similar and still enjoy the main character there's just not any plot a thousand pages of not plot there is i feel like he has a grand overarching view for his series yeah i think so but it's very minimally impacting the current book he has new adventures he has a little he's still at university still like 16 17 has a little adventure at university, has to leave. So the next 800 pages, he's off exploring the world and having adventures elsewhere. So it was good, but I was like, what's the point of all this? <laughs> but I think, and then I, I don't think he's written anymore in this series. He's written like a prequel and he's written one about a, um, other, a different character that in the reviews looks to be really good, but not at all. Is he at work on book three? Book three is listed in Goodreads, so I guess it has a working title, mm. but it's not available anywhere, and this other book is, so I think, I feel like he's going George R. R. Martin on us and yeah. doing other things, so we'll see, which is, I'm, I might go back and read the, the extra book, the, I don't know, parallel narrative, because people really seem to like that, but... I don't feel any great need to for him to rush out with the next book. So I would I, I would just like a little more plot, maybe some editing as well. Some of these people get away with a lot of pages. But then my next book only took six hours. So that was great. It was a nice um, mystery. A new series for me, Two Girls Down by Louisa Luna. The second book in the series just came out in the past couple of months and got really good reviews. So I thought I would check it out since I have finished the ton of French books need a new mystery series and this one the first book was available on ebook from the library our heroine is Alice Vega she's a bounty hunter private investigator from California travels around finding people that have skipped bail but also finds missing children so this is a missing children case the children are mostly just off stage sometimes thrillers like to have scenes with the psychopath and the victim and I don't I, you know my imagination can 
can do plenty on its own. I don't need to read that. Vega is plenty tough, slightly emotional, you know, has emotional issues, as one might expect, because that's it's a mystery our, now. That's how our, yeah, and that's how our women, women detectives are. Um, but she's very good at figuring out people and she seems to have a hacker on call to get her all the details. So parts of it were a little bit odd, but the plot kept rolling right along. I kept wanting to get right back to it. One of the blurbs on the cover said that it was very cinematic and that is absolutely true. I could totally see this being made into a TV series or a show, tons of action. She works with a local ex-cop who um, lost his job because he was covering for someone else. And he is working as a PI. And so they're, they're working together. You know, the police are kind of stereotypically unhelpful. There's the, <laughs> you know, the captain who doesn't want these civilians getting in his way. The chief with the heart of gold who realizes how awesome they are. Yeah, so that was good, you know. And it, it all worked out at the end. The girls were fine. So I am kind of looking forward to the second one. Although I think the guy that she was working with isn't going to be in there because it's just her name in the series title, not the two of them, which is kind of sad. Although then you just have the, you know, the Robert Galbraith kind of couple tension. Right. Thing right. Going, which is not bad, but I don't, you know, there's only so much you can do with that. I'm ready for a new one of those to drop. She's working on it. Okay. Apparently, although now she's got her side project of. Sourdough. Uh, and that is all. That okay. I, I only have a couple. One piece of fiction called The Book of Longings by Sue Monk Kidd. This is a fictional account of a woman named Anna who marries Jesus of Nazareth. So, you know, a light read. Sue Monk Kidd did The Secret Life of Bees, The Mermaid Chair, The Invention of Wings, and some nonfiction stuff too. This, I feel, was really well researched but not to the point where you felt like you were beaten over the head with every apostle who crossed paths with Jesus of Nazareth. By well researched I mean I feel like she looked at a lot of artifacts from the region and she really paid attention to what it was like to be a woman during the time of Jesus. That depiction felt very grounded to me. I have no problem with this as a practicing Catholic. I feel like that's important to say because I feel like the lives of women during that time were not well documented and definitely the women who had interacted with Jesus, their accounts were, were not documented like the, in the Gospels. One of her fair points about writing this book was that it would have been really unusual for Jesus to have remained unmarried his whole life. That was very uncommon. And so he probably would have been married and would have had a life if he were like a normal person in that society. And so from that point, we're given Anna, his fictional wife, and what it would would have been like for her to have been married to this man who felt a real calling to go out and politically it was incredibly dangerous for him to to be out preaching and and trying to change the the politics and the the religion of the time and i think where she succeeded on so many levels with this novel but hugely for me 
was while the majority of it was Anna's story and Jesus would come and go and, you know, he'd go off with his friends and they would pilgrimage and try to reach people. What it was like for her to have been left behind, you know, left behind to take care of the animals. And, and she had this real drive in her to write and, and what would have been available for her to write on, which would have been like the inside of pot shards. And it was super imaginative and it made these two characters, Anna and Jesus, feel very real to me in a way that I have never read an account like this before. And it reminded me of The Dove Keepers, the Alice Hoffman novel that came out maybe like eight years ago or 10 years ago. That was also extraordinary. I think that it's so hard to imagine what real life was like during that time and bridging the the antiquity part of it with like a modern day sensibility. I was really committed to reading her story. I thought it was totally great. And if, if it did anything on a religious vein, I would just say that it just makes Jesus feel like a very human character in a way that I haven't ever seen before. And I'm, a, I'm quite the choose my own adventure Catholic, as anyone who knows me well knows. That's a whole other conversation, maybe not for this podcast, but I feel like this is such an interesting story and it's from this woman's perspective. And Is it and, told as a journal or it's just from her perspective? It is told first person from Anna's perspective okay. in the year 16. You know, she's like a 15 or 16 year old, I think, when she marries Jesus. And it goes, obviously, throughout his life, through the end of his life. And I like how it ends. So that's the Book of Longings. I thought it was extraordinary. The other two books are nonfiction, but not even nonfiction. They're two art books. Oh, okay. Well, they're, yeah. yeah. There's two choices there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to characterize those. You know, they're they're so imaginative in a lot of ways that it's hard for me to be like, well, yeah, it's nonfiction because they're people's journals and it feels just like the possibilities are extraordinary to look through an art book right now. Drawn In is by Julia Rothman, who does a lot of sketches, sometimes in The New Yorker, I think, is where she's shown up that most people will recognize. But this is all about other people's sketchbooks. So it's her sketchbooks and 44 other artists, designers, cartoonists, that kind of thing. And this was on the book list for my Good Ship illustration class. And I was able to buy it used through a Goodwill in Tacoma, Washington. And it landed here. And I think that that's just awesome. It's a peek into other people's sketchbooks. And she has interviewed these artists. And it's just really interesting to see how some people's sketchbooks are really rough and some people's are very refined. That has been delicious. And then I'm reading a book called You Are an Artist. That author is 
Sarah Urist Green, and she has a YouTube channel where she interviews and looks at art on YouTube, and it is really inspiring. She was a museum curator, and she just wants art to be really approachable um, to everyone. And so she wrote this book, and it was just released, and I had pre-ordered it. And it has a lot of art assignments in it, sort of prompts and that kind of thing. Ways that you can take it your own way or make it fit your art practice. And I have attempted a couple different prompts from there, but I don't think I've shared any of the outcomes yet. It's, it's happening in my sketchbook to bridge these two books together. Yeah, that's what I've been reading. Cool. Sounds exciting. Yeah. All right. Bingo. Bingo. It is bingo season. We started May 22nd and it will run through Labor Day weekend here in the U.S., which ends September 7th. We have our revised and refreshed bingo card up. You can pull it off of our Instagram stories or contact us with your email address and we will email you a PDF copy. You can reach us on Ravelry. You can reach us on Instagram. You can reach us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. All those work. But we do need an email address unless somebody knows a better way. <laughs> we don't. I, we don't. I yeah. surely don't. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, so I thought we could maybe go over some of the new things. I actually still had a couple of questions, clarifications about some of the squares things that might be confusing. Make a refrigerator freezer recipe. So, so secretly, I want to make a refrigerator cake, you know, one of those cakes with wafers and whipped yeah, cream. Yeah. And I also want to make, again, those key lime souffles that get frozen. Oh, okay. So that was selfish on my part. But no, no, all I, just, I mean I wasn't by that... Sure. I was, okay, yeah. That's what I was looking for. I was thinking like something you make and freeze to cook later or. Yeah. Okay. So it could sure. I guess, be either as long as part of the cooking in air quotes process is being in the refrigerator or the freezer. We're good. Yeah. I mean, I could qualify the sourdough as a refrigerator recipe because it's sure. resting in the fridge until That's I yeah. am good and ready to feed that thing again. Okay. And then the make a restaurant Disney recipe at home. I wanted to give some more information on that one. That one I thought of because I got these two cookbooks that were from chefs that a lot of to support our restaurant industry. And a lot of the recipes are from their restaurants, especially the San Francisco one that I got. So that was kind of my thought process. I know Disney has released a couple of their recipes like for churros but, or their Dole Whip I've seen a couple of those flying around. Doubletree just released their chocolate chip recipe. Ikea has done their Swedish meatball recipe. So something like that where it is a sort of a known item to kind of try and make that at home. And I know people that have done the churros. They're apparently not that complicated. They were on the Great British Baking Show. <laughs> yeah, so that was my thought process. So anything like that. Display something you made down oh, at the yeah, bottom. Yeah, that one I was wondering about as well. I feel like I feel like you're displaying your sweater right now by wearing it. And I also feel like if I hang a piece of art in my house, that would be displaying it. And what I also thing on social media. Well, that's what was gonna be my third one was that if you are a reluctant <laughs> poster, you could definitely display it 
Like it might be a little bit of a stretch for you to do that, but if it's something, if that's how you want to characterize it, then have at it. I think it's pretty open-ended, but I did mean for it to be like, hang up some of your art or wear your handmade thing, or maybe you make a piece of jewelry and you take a photo of it and then you give it to someone. That's like three squares right there. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, you can definitely double dip in the squares or triple dip, however however many you want. And yeah, we are not really policing. If you can make it work, make it work. Yeah. If you feel good about it, if it's got you making something, then we're happy. And we, we, we write these so that they are open to interpretation and we can't wait to hear about your interpretation of it. Yes. The only requirement is to post your completed, your bingo card with your completed row column diagonal Last year was just on Instagram with the hashtag CCRR Summer Bingo 2020. And that's on the, on the one that lives in our bingo highlights on our Instagram, what you call it, the header at Instagram. Yes. Um, but I think this year we can also take submissions on Ravelry as well. I'll have a, I think there's a summer bingo thread. If not, I'll start one and you can post there as well if you are not, because I know some people aren't on Instagram. So we want as many people as possible to participate. So showing your completed bingo card is the only thing that we ask for before September 7th. We do want to see what you've been doing with the hashtag. I think I need to be following you. Craft cook read repeat repeat. needs to be needs to be following you. So make sure that is also happening. If there's any question, DM me or whatever. Make sure your profile and Instagram looks like a real person. Because I know some people just open up accounts so they can see other people's photos, but don't actually post anything. And if there's numbers, it's going to look like you're a a bot. And I try and check out most people and, and follow you back if you're following us. But there are are some that it's kind of really hard to tell um, if you're a real yeah, you can, person or not. You can have a private. You can have a private account and we'll follow you. Yeah. We're just trying to keep away from those spammers. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I think that's all of the rules. So yeah, again, you don't have to post photos of what you've been doing, but we do. We do like to see what what people are inspired to create. And the the graphic designer want wannabe in me has built this grid so that if you are just a maker you can go diagonally through the center and just make to get a bingo or you can go diagonally the other way as a cook or you can go right down the middle as a reader so there is a way to get a bingo if you hate making things or if you hate cooking you know, there's like workarounds. I'm going personally for a blackout. I don't know about you. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'll try. I mean, I got pretty close last year. I am. I have already. I've already done three that are in a row. So I've already finished a work in progress, which is my continuous cardigan. So that was exciting. That's the bottom corner. And then I started a new project, which is my lounging T-shirt, which also used something from my stash. So. There's a double dip right there. And I've been thinking about some of the other ones. I have My Antonia waiting in my library queue. So that was a book that you have read. So that'll be my my recommended one. And I have to look back and see when I made the tartine cookies. I feel like it might have been before we started, which was 
failure and planning, but do you have all summer to do yeah, another one? Yeah, I have three. I made a double batch of sourdough inadvertently and I shared it, which nice. was, which was intentional. I have those two craft books of choice happening, the drawn in and you are an artist. And I repaired something last night, thanks to my kid brother. Um, I have this tray on my easel and it's made out of really lightweight aluminum and it didn't fit the easel properly, even though it said it would. And so I had to cut some metal off of the tray, I know. And I wrote him this little text like, hey, how do I cut this? And he sent me back a link to tin snips, which I happen to have in my house. And so I carefully cut a section off of the easel tray and it fit like the first try. Wow. So this easel tray has been sitting underneath the sofa in my house for a year. And so I feel like I have legitimately earned the square by repairing something that was sure. unusable. So is, is that also a new medium or technique? No, I just cut it. I mean, have you worked in tin yet? <laughs> I have not worked in tin yet, but I have a plan for that new medium or technique. Oh, okay. I want to make candles. Ooh. Yeah. I have a list on the back of my bingo sheet about things that I would like to attempt. All right. So we better get, get back to our bingoing. That's right. <laughs> Stop chatting. I'm going to go make the confetti cookies. That sounds fun. They were delicious. You'll enjoy those. And the rest of you, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.